0: Okay, and welcome everybody to Investing with IBD podcast sponsored by North Coast Asset Management. It's Justin Nielsen here, and it is July 6, 2022. And as always, I've got Arusha Pires by my side, virtually, uh, from O'Neill Global Advisors. He's a portfolio manager over there. How you doing, Arusha? I'm doing well, Justin. I don't know what that little sound effect there was, but it was something new. A sound effect?
1: Well, your little effect? mumble or whatever. Oh, mumble. Okay,
0: yeah, that's that's just a, a mumbling I got from my grandfather, I guess. Maybe. <laughs> um, but we're also pleased to welcome back to the show Nina Decca. Nina Decca is from Robo Global. Um, she's a senior research analyst there, and she's really specialized in the healthcare spot because they do have the Robo Global Healthcare Technology and Innovation ETF uh, (HTEC) is the symbol on that, and so she's helping uh, do a lot of research for what stocks are going to be making it into their index and eventually the ETF. So it's great to have you back, Nina.
2: Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Oh, absolutely. So, um, gosh, every time we have you on, I feel like there's just so much to cover because the the innovations and disruptions that are going on in the healthcare industry, not to mention some big infrastructure type stuff. Um, But, you know, I guess what's on a lot of people's minds right now to just kind of put it to the broad economy is that, gosh, we have this real tight labor market. Um, we've got inflation and wouldn't you know it, healthcare is kind of at the epicenter of two of those, (laughs) those two big themes. You know, you've got a skilled, you know, a skilled medical personnel shortage. And also just the rising healthcare costs that we've seen over time. So, uh, maybe you could start out with a big picture overview of what's going on in this industry.
2: Yeah. Uh, I mean, um, I think, and we may have discussed this previously, but just some data points here, uh, like a third of U.S. nurses are expected to be at retirement age by 2030, uh, 40% of U.S. physicians are expected to be at retirement age in the next 10 years as well, and, uh, and those, those data points came out prior to the pandemic. Then the pandemic happened and accelerated what the world expects to be a shortage of healthcare workers by 18 million. So 18 million healthcare workers short around the world um, in the next couple decades. And that that was now re- recently accelerated by the pandemic. I think an estimated 100,000 healthcare workers lost their lives um, during COVID. And, and then a lot of other people just got burnt out, made a career change and left their posts. Um, in fact, uh, even before the pandemic, of the nurses that came into the profession left within two years to go do something else for a living. So um, it's a tough gig and it it just got tougher during the pandemic. And now it's getting squeezed to your point. Meanwhile, the population is aging. So the number of people over age 85 uh, is growing and that is expected to grow the demand of healthcare services that are needed over the next couple of decades. So it's really getting squeezed uh, from all ends. And this is like a perfect storm Um, and the only way forward is digitization and automation. Mm. Healthcare is one of the last major sectors around the world to become digitized. I mean, people are still using their checkbooks only to pay for medical bills.
3: That's
2: like, that's the last reason left that that still exists. Um, fax machines are, are still only in business Mm -hmm. because of healthcare. And uh, and yet uh, people are slowly seeing when they go to the doctor office that they're not handed a paper chart anymore. They're slowly being asked to fill out their charts before they come in or when they arrive, they're handed a tablet. And so that's just one uh, like consumer facing aspect of the digitization of healthcare. care. Um, and so we're watching this evolution happen. It's driving a ton of innovation a ton of MA. United Healthcare uh, just announced that its intention to acquire EMIS, uh, an EHR healthcare IT company based in the UK. Um, and and there's, there's been data integration MA left and right for the last uh, five years. So, um, so there's a lot of MA happening. Striker announced its uh, acquisition and close of Vocera, huge healthcare IT deal. Um, this is going to help striker integrate all of their medical devices um and and help streamline nursing workflow and again help nurses do more with less cuz that's going to be a key theme in healthcare moving forward is um healthcare workers can't be in 10 places at once anymore what 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 kind of activities can be taken off their hands? Um, and other like cool companies in this space, I like to remind people that the pharmacy is another area with a huge uh-huh. opportunity to be automated. We've all seen pharmacists standing in the back of the pharmacy, putting pills in jars. Um, these are people with very expensive professions. That's, that's, a, that's a high-end degree there. And, and to be in the back, putting pills in jars, when right now, medical error is the third leading cause of death. And a lot of that, that error can be avoided through proper medication intervention, explaining to patients how to take their meds and when. And, and pharmacists can do that, but not if they're busy doing a lot of other administrative tasks. So huge opportunity for automation in the pharmacy and a company that we like there is called OmniCell, ticker O-M-C-L. Right. Um, and they've been growing leaps and bounds to help automate, um, not just pharmacies like th- that, that we know it as standalone pharmacies, but in hospitals who also administer drugs so uh, a lot of lot of opportunities there for automation
1: so nina going back to the the original part with the healthcare work short working shortage right there um it, now obviously you have this huge shortage and you have automation and digitization wrap you know ramping up here where's kind of that intersection where everything's okay or is there going to be this big gap for how many years
2: i would say g- given. It- a decade, right? So we're going to look back in ten years and laugh at all the things we used to do related to healthcare, and and say, "Wow, do you do you remember when we used to write checks?" Um, used machines. <laughs> yeah, in fact, machines. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like the same way we talk about compact discs and 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 DVDs and. Um, Physically walking to a store to go shopping, uh, there's there's just a lot of things that have become automated, digitized. E-commerce happened, and healthcare has yet to go there, but it is moving in that direction around the world. Um, yeah, I would say. I, I mean. That was also accelerated by the pandemic. Like, mm-hmm. look at all the people who decided to try telemedicine for the first time. Right. Um, and that doctor-patient visit is just one aspect of virtual care that is still in very early days. We're going to see a virtualization of healthcare globally, like telerobotic surgery, um, mm-hmm. doctor-to-doctor consults, uh, device-to-doctor, device-to-device. There's just so many ways that. that that integration still has to happen and we're still in very early days here so we've got hundreds of billions of dollars worth of market cap growth uh over the next five to ten years that that is going to be realized and it's such an exciting time to be investing right now
0: Mm -hmm. and and maybe you could address because again a lot of this has been kind of on that labor side um you know tight labor market a lot of demand um what can be done to help the workers that are still there but what about that other side um you know so many people are really focused on inflation right now and the rising costs of everything. And with with healthcare, the rising costs there have been uh, outpacing a lot of other areas for a long time. Is there anything addressing kind of the cost side of things?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's like, you see a lot of statistics. I think uh, there's a Gemma article out there that states something like around 700 billion in estimated annual waste in healthcare. And oh, so, wow. when we look at um, constraints and in, in increasing costs, a very strong area of that needs to be a focus is how to eliminate waste. Like, let's mm-hmm. let's shut off the faucet and, and conserve electricity, and, and where we can, right? Like, that's what we do. when We want to lower our electric bill, but with healthcare, where are the areas where we can where we can be more efficient? And uh, and that's really hard to determine um, when when. The, the whole system is already so constrained. Companies like Health Catalyst are very well positioned to help hospitals save tens of millions of dollars um, on operating costs by streamlining their efforts and showing hospital XYZ Here's what your peers are, are spending on such and such procedures or such and such operations. Um, here's what they're spending in the emergency room. And here are ways that you can streamline your efforts. And, uh, and they have hundreds of, like if you think of a hospital system, there's just so many areas there that are connected to different computers, all aggregating different types of data. Health Catalyst t- can take hundreds of different systems and kind of siphon all the data from them and then plug it into their system, analyze it, and then use that in a in a way where they can help uh, provide professional services back to the hospital and say, here are some things we can implement to help cut costs and and imp- improve your workflow. Um, and so that that hospital or that that company is actually very well positioned. Um, but like the stock has come in year to date because people are worried. You've got all these. Um, um, uh, like software engineers working there and those costs are going to go up and it's going to become harder and harder to hire people to, to do your data analytics. Um, But, but meanwhile, you've got hospitals that have to deploy these services because there's no other way forward. So, um, so you're seeing an interesting dichotomy where a lot of healthcare companies are being constrained from a labor perspective. And then the, the hospitals in which they serve are being constrained from a labor perspective. And the winners at the end of the day are the, are the ones that are gonna help justify their why they exist. We're gonna save you X millions of dollars if you hire us and, and here's how we're gonna make money in the meantime. So I, we think Health Catalyst is well positioned for that and really undervalued right now by the market.
1: Yeah no I, yeah well I mean obviously C-A-T. one thing with all these stocks right where the they're long duration it's going to take some time for for them to get earnings they're obviously not in favor right now now going back to kind of the the larger costs uh, where you have billions and billions of dollars in, in in kind of just bloated cost right there if you bring in a health catalyst into in one of these hospitals uh, where they cut the costs do they necessarily pass that on to the consumer or, or are they just going to keep that more as a profit and does it become more there that one hospital figures it out and they just start dominating and start taking market share? How, how do you see those kind of trends?
2: Well, keep in mind that a lot of hospital expenses are covered by insurance companies. So mm-hmm. a lot of the, what's, what's put on the patient at the end of the day is what, what winds up being their out of pocket costs. So, um, so, So yeah, I wouldn't say that a lot of those savings are passed on to the patient necessarily. Um, I think that where we might see them is more in um, personnel reallocation. And really it's not even like, wow, we can help you operate with three nurses here instead of five. It's that the hospital only has three nurses, but they have the amount of work to do of six to 10 people. And so what is it that that health catalyst can help streamline? And, and just improve the workflow. Um, um, supply chain uh, types of analytics, uh, really across the board, they're, they're, it's limitless of what they can help with. But um, one interesting thing about that company is that they, they can pivot very quickly to, to be like, in with the times and, and, and service the needs of any given moment. So during COVID, for example, they were able to help shift and offer products and services that helped hospitals operate during those unique times, now hospitals are are seeing um, staff shortages, so they're able to offer solutions that help them troubleshoot those needs. So that's another thing to um, to their benefit that they they sit in a position like right in the middle where they can see what the problems are, and 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 face them head on and help hospitals get through the tough times, regardless of what those times tough times are.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of COVID, um, you know we're kind of a lot of, in a lot of ways, uh, a lot of the stocks that were really benefiting from COVID, uh, you know, Moderna, BioNTech, Pfizer, you know, the, with the vaccines and all of these other companies that were kind of also benefiting in, in picks and shovels types of ways. Uh, I mean, it seems like the focus has come off a lot of those companies, but uh, like I know Moderna is one that you've mentioned before, ticker symbol mRNA, um, you know, are, are some of these companies, Gone because COVID is out of our minds, or is is there still some compelling things going on with uh, with some of these COVID plays? I
2: mean, they look gone if you look at their stock price, but what the market is missing is a, a much bigger part of the story. And I'm I'm glad you brought up Moderna because this company uh, generated over 20 billion dollars of revenue off of one product and became an almost 500 stock. So. Um, imagine what they're going to be valued at when there are many other drugs that are currently in clinical trials eventually come to market. Um, they have largely de-risked mRNA uh, as a therapeutic modality, right? It's um, It's been injected into hundreds of millions of people and, and deemed uh-huh. safe and effective. And now they have now uh, four different drugs in phase three. That's how quickly these guys move. Prior to the pandemic, they had one drug, their lead candidate in phase two, and it did progress to phase three during the pandemic. Um, this is to, to a vaccine for CMV. It's a less known um, disease that's usually pretty harmless unless a, a pregnant mom gets it and passes it to the fetus, and then it could lead to birth defects and long-term issues like hearing loss. Um, and so that's uh, it, it's, it's something that they are working on a vaccine for. That's in phase three. RSV is progressing, Uh, flu. They have a flu vaccine that's just made it to phase three. Um, And eventually they're going to work on a respiratory vaccine that's going to be flu, COVID, and RSV. Um, And uh, what a lot of people don't know about what's so fascinating about what Moderna is doing, the reason why the flu vaccine as it stands today, the conventional one, is not as effective as people would like is because they have to detect the strains that are going to, that and, and d- predict what are yeah, going to be the dominant flu strains next flu season, months in advance, eight to nine months in advance, to give the pharma companies time to manufacture the flu vaccine. Moderna doesn't need that long of a lead time, so they're they're working on bringing the, the conventional kind of flu methodology vaccine quickly to get one to market. But their longer term project is to design one that can uh, they can actually launch closer to the date of the flu season where they have a better idea of what the dominant variants are going to be. And hopefully the plan is to increase that efficacy. So instead of people being like, it's only 40, 40% effective, why would I want to get it or 50%, whatever the efficacy is, um, with Moderna, it could be much higher. And so it might increase the likelihood that people would be open to getting a flu vaccine. So huge opportunity there. And, and they have the capability to do it. It's proven. So, um, I mean, if this turns into a thousand-dollar stock someday, is someone going to wonder like why they spent a hundred and fifteen dollars on it instead of hundred and twenty-five? Like, waiting for the bottom of some of these stocks right now is—it's it, not going to matter because there is so much upside potential over the long run.
0: Well, I think you've gotten uh, a good start on a lot of things to think about. And I, I feel like a lot of this has been kind of on the structural side, um, but there's also so many exciting therapies and treatments and things like that coming coming up. So when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, some of these exciting innovations that are happening in the healthcare industry. Stay tuned, we'll be right back.
3: To help alleviate some of the pain that comes from bear markets, we recommend investing 20 to 25% of the equity portion of your portfolio in a tactical strategy. If you're especially risk-averse, we recommend a higher percentage. In 2008, the market declined 37%, yet our portfolio was only down 12%. Why? Because the conditions for investing were poor, so we held a lot of cash. Visit northcoastam.com tactical
0: okay welcome back to the investing with ibd podcast sponsored by north coast asset management it's justin nielsen here along with my Longtime friend and weekly guest, Arusha Paris from O'Neill Global Advisors, portfolio manager over there. And our special guest this week is Nina Decca from Robo Global. Uh, she's very heavily involved with the healthcare technology and innovation ETF over there. HTEC is the symbol on that. So, uh, Nina, we kind of hit on a lot of structural issues that's going on in the healthcare industry. And I meant to get back to uh, recap of Catalan because that was another one that was kind of a COVID seeming play, but maybe you could talk about Catalan a little bit to start us out and then we can talk more about all these uh, different therapies and, and treatments that are coming out. So CTLT, what's, uh, what's your update on them?
2: Uh, so basically Catalan, um, as you mentioned, there were kind of stocks that got uh, a lot of attention during the pandemic like Moderna. We've seen a lot of pullback because people are like, okay, everyone's already been vaccinated with the COVID vaccine. So why do I need to own this stock? And they're missing the bigger picture. And so if we were to continue with that bigger picture, Catalent is a contract development manufacturing organization. This is like a third party. Um, this is a company that biotech companies outsource their manufacturing to. And uh, they specialize in um, highly specialized therapies. And they partnered with mRNA, with with Moderna, uh, to help get them these vaccines uh, manufactured at scale globally and into the arms of hundreds of millions of people. So uh, now that they have uh, developed a manufacturing footprint for mRNA therapies, they are very well positioned as more mRNA therapies come to market to help not just Moderna, but other companies, develop, commercialize, and scale. So, um, so uh, Lanza is another partner of Moderna's that help them um, manufacture their drugs. So um, we, we like this kind of group of enabling companies like Catalan and Lanza, um, because when you see a lot of investment happening in biotech and the, the innovation happening in genomics and precision medicine, a lot of these companies, um, especially the startups, uh, they don't have the capital to manufacture their own drugs, even to run a clinical trial. And when you, when you go to file to, uh, like an application to the FDA if you want to run a clinical trial, you have to name initially, if, if this were to move forward, how are you going to manufacture that drug? So you need a partnership with companies like Catalan from the get-go. So these companies are largely de-risked. They, they're kind of mm-hmm. going to get paid no matter what. And the the trial can't take place unless someone can make the drug. So, um, so they're a great, uh, like, kind of a stable, um, lower risk way to gain exposure in your portfolio to these biotech and, and these 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 interesting, innovative growth themes.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, this is this is like a classic picks and shovels play. Right. <laughs> right, right. right. They, yeah. Well, like you said, Nina, they're, they're going to get paid no matter what. I mean, it, it, it really is kind of funny to me because they work with a Moderna or La- uh, Alonza or a number of the other companies and they're, they're going to learn their tricks of their trade and, and mm-hmm. eventually can uh, use it with other companies. So uh, it's an in- interesting dilemma. A lot of these biotechs have to deal with.
2: Yeah. Well, and uh, speaking of the enablers, are, are you familiar with Paxlovid? Um... This is like the COVID drug that's uh, become like one of the most uh, globally used. And uh, it's made by Pfizer. But the company that helped develop the enzyme that goes into that is Codexis. This is a, a company that's making a name for itself in synthetic biology. And that's another fast growing area that a lot of investors aren't paying attention to right now.
0: And. and- Maybe you could describe exactly what is synthetic biology. You know, I mean, it sounds it sounds almost like the Terminator. You know, like cyborg type <laughs> stuff. But what 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 is your definition of synthetic biology?
2: It kind of is uh, futuristic like that, but it, it is very today. And think of anywhere that a chemical is used, um, and maybe that chemical is scarce, or maybe maybe farming that chemical out of the ground or out of um, animals, uh, is not really, um, uh, available or, or environmentally friendly. Um, so it, it basically synthetic biology is a way to c- sort of recreate whatever that chemical substance is to be used in that similar way. Um, a lot of people don't know, but like, um, things like, um, like the, the burgers that are vegan, but like.
1: Kind of like impossible the Impossible
2: burger and so on and, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, uh, synthetic biology went into the manufacturing of those in order to mimic uh, being a real burger. So that's kind of like a consumer application. But um, and then like a bigger consumer application we're seeing is in this COVID uh, therapy with um, with the enzyme made by Codexis, um, and and another company that we really like in the synthetic biology world is Twist. Uh, oh. They are enabling synthetic biology companies, because they make the, the tiny pieces of DNA that go into making whatever synthetic biology companies are making. Um, and, they, and they've essentially industrialized the manufacturing of these DNA pieces, um, also known as DNA writing or DNA synthesis. Um, okay. Twist has, has basically taken um, mm-hmm. what used to be done conventionally on like a 96 well plate in a lab, uh, and they've, they've basically made it miniaturized on a silicon chip. So think of like semiconductor te- technology um, and using their silicon chip, they can manufacture 10,000 times the amount of DNA pieces um, on just one chip. And in doing so, they're utilizing a lot less chemicals, like a fraction of the chemicals need to make these, um, these DNA pieces and, uh, and they can do it at a fraction of the cost and they do uh-huh. pass these cost savings along. So um, they're growing leaps and bounds, and they also use their synthetic DNA to make next-gen sequencing kits. That market is growing leaps and bounds, and uh, and they are growing and outpacing that market. Um, so uh, So there's much more to come from that company because as the cost of sequencing comes down, we're gonna see more and more things get sequenced left and right. Uh, the growth in liquid biopsy, minimum residual disease therapy selection—these are all terms in the world of precision medicine and um, and genomics. And uh, and Twist is going to be standing there with their low cost, affordable DNA pieces to to make the pieces and parts that go into all these testing kits. So um, so we really like te- uh, Twist right now with a huge growth opportunity.
0: Mm-hmm. And and maybe you could talk a little bit more about that. Uh, Next next gen sequencing, you know, because this is something that a lot of companies are using. How is it that they're using it? And, you know, is is does twist have a moat around themselves? Is this something that some of these companies will just eventually try and create them themselves? Or is it cost prohibitive to do so?
2: Well, I mean, Twist has a lot of patents on that silicon chip, but it is—it is a highly competitive space. DNA synthesis is um, just the way that they're doing it is just much more automated, efficient, and mm. like industrialized. Um, they're growing so fast that their manufacturing plant has is basically going to reach capacity by the end of this year, and they are going to open up brand new manufacturing capacity to essentially more than double what they can do today. And that is in response to the amount of growth opportunity that's out there. So um, uh, I guess one way to validate that there is a growth opportunity is um, if you look at the companies involved in next-gen sequencing, Illumina is by far the pioneer and world world market leader there. But as patents come up in the next couple of years, there's a lot of other companies that have been in stealth mode that are getting ready to launch their sequencers um, at at much lower costs um to the end users and so uh so there's a lot of growth there and what's driving that growth all the innovation happening in genomics I mentioned earlier liquid biopsy um so that's basically uh if if you were to draw blood you could analyze that blood and look for pieces of DNA so for example with cancer if there's a cancer tumor um, the there are uh, pieces of DNA of that tumor that shed off uh, and into the bloodstream. And so by doing a blood draw, theoretically you could potentially screen and, and detect cancer before the patient even knows that they have cancer, that's one application. And there's a company called Guardant um, okay. that is actually the world is waiting on the edge of their seat right now because they're running uh, the largest ever trial study right now um, analyzing um, people to determine whether or not their their liquid biopsy blood test can screen for colorectal cancer as, uh, as effectively as a con- conventional methods. Um, and so this is game-changing because uh, if you could, at your annual checkup, just get screened for colorectal cancer instead of having to do Um, a stool sample or or a
0: colonoscopy
2: colonoscopy procedure, Mm -hmm. Um, more people might be likely to show up for that screening because you're already Mm at the doctor. Uh, In fact, more people might be likely to go to to their annual checkup because they can get this thing screened while they're there. And that's just colorectal cancer. Um, Grail already has screening tests um, for several other cancers. They have a pan cancer screen. Grail is owned by um, Illumina they were acquired. uh, Well, that acquisition is still out there, but uh, that was uh, a $7 billion price tag. And there's been over $15 billion of M&A right now uh, over the last couple of years in the genomics companies acquiring this liquid biopsy space because the opportunity is huge. So I just described screening. So that's before Mm -hmm. you even know that you have cancer, but today it's already being used in therapy selection. So, uh, there's a known tumor, and, uh, and you can biopsy that tumor, or you can do a liquid biopsy and help determine the proper course of therapy. Um, it used to be like one drug, oh, here's one drug for breast cancer. Now it's let's detect the DNA of that tumor and then match it very specifically to an exact therapy that will treat that exact DNA. Uh, that's precision medicine, and uh-huh. uh, and and you need that genomic test in order to run that. And so, uh, without liquid biopsy, you have to you have to biopsy a tissue. It's a surgical procedure, invasive. So do it with a blood draw and and do a therapy selection. Um, that's a huge opportunity. And Garden is already in that space. In fact, um, they just announced a partnership in Spain where they're going to be offering um, liquid biopsy for therapy selection um, in that country. So they're growing growing globally. Um, also Natera is another player in this space. Uh, they are the Mm -hmm. world market leader in prenatal testing. Liquid biopsy has been around for a while in prenatal testing and they are expanding into cancer. Um, minimum residual disease is another huge growth area. Um, this is where the patient has already been treated for cancer and you want to detect how much of the cancer is still there is, is the treatment working? Mm
3: -hmm. And then there's
2: recurrence testing. This is, after the treatment, come back in for a checkup, um, and and how, how nice to be able to get a routine blood test to see if the cancer has stayed away instead of the conventional method, which is waiting a lot longer, um, and then having uh, extensive diagnostic testing that's less comfortable. Um, so um, a, a lot of innovation happening there, huge growth opportunity. And again, you've got Twist as an enabler, um, who's going to make the pieces and the parts that go into these testing kits um, for the many companies who are standing up to provide these tests. So really exciting time to be involved in the space. And genomics uh, is one of the areas in health tech that's gotten hit the most. And yet there's still so much innovation and upside right. happening there that it's a really compelling time uh, to take a long position in a lot of these companies.
1: So, Nina, get, getting back to Twist, that their kits are just essentially agnostic and used in li- liquid biopsy and all of these different, uh, kind of diagnostic.
2: Well, when a company comes up with a new test, mm-hmm. they have to determine what components are going to go into the making of their test okay. and they might run a trial. Uh, and they might, they, they might ask twist to come and, and participate in this trial with them. And if they decide to go with twist, then for the I, I imagine for the life of that product every time that test is run every time that that sample is sequenced uh it will have a piece of twist in that testing wow um so when they can land those deals or when they can be the one chosen for those tests the opportunity is huge for the long run that's that's a sticky long-term uh okay. tale of growth that's impressive
0: Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things that you mentioned yesterday about Twist, uh, and, and just to throw a little twist on on your discussion here, was data storage, which that kind of surprised me a little bit. Can you talk, uh, talk to our audience about how Twist might be involved with data storage?
2: Yeah, there's a lot of, um, I mean, there's so much that's digital right now that people want to keep for a long time. And storage is expensive and it does take up a lot of space. And where can things be stored indefinitely? Um, So uh, if you think about something like art or music uh, that could be archived um, in order to be more efficient, Twist is developing a capability to convert essentially the zeros and ones of of a data file into DNA. And uh, and in doing so, they can store it, a miniaturized version of it, more efficiently and uh, much more low cost. And they're investing heavily in this future um, because they want to be the ones that told everyone so. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> it's mind boggling. Yeah, it's, and, and it's I mean,
2: like, it's like the call option on that stock. Like you've got a, <laughs> you've got plenty of reasons to be long this name, and if that works too. Mm -hmm. cool yeah
0: right (laughs) is that like a room shop uh, that's
2: great if it does but right now um the 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 market doesn't seem to have as big of an appetite for these like interesting futuristic sounding ideas they they kind of want to lean toward things that are revenue generating uh, or slightly more de-risked um like i mean moderna had one very de-risked product and look at how much that stock is pulled back so i i'm just in terms of uh like I guess investor sentiment at the moment. There are plenty of reasons to get involved, and then there's plenty of reasons to stay involved.
0: Mm-hmm. And with some of these companies, as you mentioned, I mean, they, they they might have the revenues, but you know, they don't have the earnings because a lot of times they are just pumping that money right back into. Research and development costs. I mean, like Twist, for example, looked like it had over fifty percent R and D in terms of its number there. Yeah. Wow. Um, so
2: they have it, said that they expect this year to be their high watermark for those uh, that operating ratio, um, okay. and that they do expect as their new plant opens and they ramp that up to head toward profitability in some of these um, these revenue segments. So. For example, their um, their synthetic DNA segment, their NGS segment, um, they expect to be revenue break even when those I guess reach 300 million in revenue. Right now, they're at 200 million by the end of this year. So, uh-huh. um, so theoretically, they have a path to profitability on the areas of their business that actually um, have revenue generating products.
0: Uh-huh. And uh, you know maybe just one other area uh, that you were telling us a little bit about is is some of the some of the surgical uh, areas. I mean, you, you mentioned you mentioned robotics. Um, you know, some some of that that's happening even on a global scale. Uh, anything going on in the surgical side of things that, that that looks interesting to you?
2: Yeah, we're pretty excited about a company called Star Surgical. This is one that often whenever my non-healthcare friends are asking me for a stock idea, like it's one of my go-tos. This is a really innovative company. Uh, they're actually based in California, but they, they led um, with their product launch in China. Uh, it's, they, they basically make a, like a biologic contact lens um, okay. that is implanted into the eye and it helps uh, correct the, the vision or basically bring someone to normal vision who has myopia. And uh, they started in China because there is a growing population of myopia there, uh, largely attributed to um, increased screen usage. Hmm. And and globally, screen usage is expected to increase the population of people who have myopia. So a a large long-term opportunity for this company, but what's new is that they uh, finally got FDA approval in the US and they launched here um, this spring. And, uh, and so um, it seems uh, just from, from various data points and research that, uh, that the product is taking off and that the adoption um, is potentially at least where people expect and could be even more. Um, and I say this because some, some people might be a little hesitant about a new eye implant, but uh, what makes this technology unique versus LASIK is that uh, it's fully reversible? If for any reason uh, the patient doesn't want it anymore, it can be removed, and their eye goes completely back to normal. Versus uh-huh. LASIK, where what whatever is being done is not reversible. Um, and so, if there were side effects, that is um, dry eye, for example, uh, that's just that's how it's going to be. So it does uh, kind of de-risk um, the, the the procedure in general. But um, but it's also it's kind of got a new opportunity that it didn't have before in that an older version of it required uh, like another procedure in order to drain fluid that might build up. Mm -hmm. And now this new version does not require that second procedure. So they've got this new and improved version of their product and it's now FDA approved and uh, and it could be a huge growth opportunity. a risk there is if people don't elect to get this procedure. Uh, like, for example, if there's a recession and, and people right. no longer have the cash for it, um, but, uh, but that remains to be seen. And the stock pulled back largely because of the, uh, the lockdowns in China, because that's mm-hmm. where their revenue largely exists. And yet it, it hasn't fully recovered from that. So still a lot of upside, I think, and, and a really exciting time to get involved with that company
1: how long is the procedure for for uh, for for their product
2: like it's when it's very secured? quick
1: okay and and how expensive is it is it is it pretty expensive versus like lasik
2: i don't know the exact costs okay.
0: Well, um, I, I feel like we almost have to do a wrap up here. You threw so many, <laughs> so many stocks out at us. Um, and, and again, it's just, you know, we, we, we started out with kind of the big picture structural and then you got all the way drilled down into precision medicine. Let's forget about, you know, healthcare for a population and say, you know, what, what does your DNA look like and how can we treat you specifically? Um, so, I mean, we, you know, we, we, we touched on OmniCell at the beginning, OMCL, uh health catalyst hcat uh, you mentioned um gosh uh star surgical was the la- latest one staa uh you had twist in there twst uh striker syk garden uh gh um what moderna. am i missing M- uh, moderna M-A. of course moderna and Catalent uh, mrna and ctlt um natera ntra uh pfizer of course pfe and then um cdx uh, CDXS, uh, you know that, that has the enzyme for them. Codexis, um, yeah. Did, did, did I miss anything? I mean, that was that was a lot. And, uh, well, and aluminum too. aluminum. Oh, aluminum. Let's not forget Illumina, ILMN. Uh, uh, um Lanza. You know, so, you
2: know,
0: so, uh, wow. So, uh, Nina, again, can't can't tell you how much we appreciate uh, you, you coming on and sharing this knowledge. And of course, uh, most of these are in your HTEC uh, ETF. Is that correct?
2: That's right. Yeah. So uh, we we like to make it simple for investors. If if the number of stocks I just talked about and the, all the technology <laughs> right. that's emerging has anyone um, kind of overwhelmed and they don't know where to start, our recommendation is buy a health tech ETF like HTEC. HTEC is the ticker. We've got a team of research analysts, including myself, that do the legwork. We have extensive backgrounds and knowledge in this space. And we pick the best in class companies and um, fold it up into an index. And, and so that's one way to get exposure. It's about 85 or so companies that we believe represent the next decade of growth in healthcare.
0: Mm-hmm. And again, uh, you know, because Robo Global is really uh, looking at the overall automation, artificial intelligence, robotics, all of those things. I mean, there's certainly opportunities in healthcare uh, in that regard. And, you know, I should mention that we've been seeing, you know, in our own screens, a lot of healthcare companies, medical companies coming up uh, on, on our screen. So there's definitely, definitely opportunities there. And, um, you know, as you said, some of these prices, where they're at now, you may be looking at years from now and saying, wow, can't believe, uh, can't believe that's how far it's come. So thank you again, Nina, so much for coming on.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Okay, and when we come back, Arusha and I are going to take a look at the market, and we'll talk about maybe some other stocks, but man, we've already done so many. Maybe we don't even have to do that, but stay tuned. We'll be right
3: back. To help alleviate some of the pain that comes from bear markets, we recommend investing 20 to 25% of the equity portion of your portfolio in a tactical strategy. If you're especially risk-averse, we recommend a higher percentage in 2008, the market declined 37%, yet our portfolio was only down 12%. Why? Because the conditions for investing were poor, so we held a lot of cash. Visit northcoastam.com tactical.
0: Okay, welcome back to the Investing with IBD podcast, sponsored by North Coast Asset Management. It's Justin Nielsen here, along with Arusha Pierce. So we just had a great discussion with Nina Deka, but we want to go ahead and do a final wrap-up of what's going on in the market and maybe throw out a couple extra stocks that are on our watch list. So, uh, Arusha, why don't you start out? Uh, We had this rally. We had a follow-through day that happened a couple weeks ago, and it quickly fizzled, but now... Uh, it looks like the, the NASDAQ at least is trying to make another go of it. What do you think? Yeah, it uh,
1: at least for the last three or four days, it has uh, it has hung in there, right? There, there were a couple of those days where the markets were down. They opened up down more than 1%. It looked like, oh, it might get a little ugly here. Maybe we test the lows at the 10,500 area and maybe undercut it and go back into a correction. But, it, it, it just seemed to either the sellers were worn out and there's no more sellers left or they're the, the few buyers that they were there, they were happy to scoop up those shares and keep this market above those lows. So over the, uh, so it is acting a little resilient here. Wouldn't it be a surprise to see this market maybe have that counter trend rally, maybe test the 50-day moving average. It hasn't tested that in a number of months.
0: Mm -hmm. now one of the things that kind of bothered me yesterday okay so we're we're coming back from the 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 long holiday you know you expect volume to be a little off because of that but yesterday we had this this volume uh a little bit higher it was still below average but a little bit higher than the friday pre-holiday volume plus we had a pretty big move on the nasdaq composite it ended up closing up 1.75 percent but i remember looking at it intraday And at one point, it's like, oh, look, you know, I mean, because it started off a little negative, but at one point, I'm looking at the NASDAQ and, you know, saying, oh, it's about to go positive. And then I look over at the S&P 500, and it's still down 2%. There was this, like, huge divergence happening. Um, And it seemed like I, I did on IBD Live, my little industry group, uh, a spreadsheet where i you know go through all the it's not little 97 yeah that's little. true that's true <laughs> 197 industry groups uh kind of what's what's moving back and forth and you know utilities which had been strong those were getting hit yesterday and then it, it just seemed like there was a lot of rotation happening um and now here we are at the 21 day you know I, it just kind of seems like we're at a crossroads can we get above this and also uh for as much as it was nice that the index closed up today it seemed like at least for a lot of the day decliners were outpacing advancers in both the new york stock exchange and the nasdaq so uh are you finding breadth here is there a lot of stocks participating is it a divergent market what do you do when you're getting mixed signals like that
1: yeah i i feel i i'm not finding a lot of breadth i'm not seeing tons of stocks setting up and, and moving higher sure. i feel like Versus a few weeks ago, maybe you have a few more that are just trying mm-hmm. to hang in there and trying to set up. but it's not really conclusive right now. I, I think the 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 best thing that you can do is not do a lot right now and be patient. <laughs> yeah, now we have the we've had the falter day where uh, the status is officially under pressure because we had distribution day. We closed underneath the falter day uh, low uh, pretty quickly. Uh, but we're not in a correction still. So you're in this kind of gray area where if you see a stock starting to emerge, you can try it and y- you want to get get some feedback in the market, get some exposure just to to see if it, it can turn. You don't want to necessarily assume that the market's going to uh, make a new low and we're going to go back in a correction because that's when you get caught flat footed. So mm. I, I think you, you want to definitely keep an open mind. You want to pay close attention. And if you see something that's breaking out, you want to at least try a little bit of a small position. I I would say if you see something that's breaking out that you like, you want to try a little bit of it just to get a little bit of feedback because we've seen it over and over again. Sometimes these markets can turn when you least expect it.
0: Right. And so, you know, just as a reminder, we did have the follow through day happen on June 24th. Now, granted, there was a lot of volume on that day, which was also coinciding with a Russell rebalance. So there was kind of a caveat there. Then we had the follow through day undercut where we closed below the low of the follow through day on June 28th. Um, We kind of came came in a little bit more, uh, but, you know, not not underneath the the lows that we made on the 16th of june so we kind of held above there and then uh, as i mentioned yesterday on july 5th uh we got you know what you could have considered kind of follow-through day criteria you know sure the volume wasn't above average and it was being compared to a pre-holiday um but it had the price gain um one thing i will say is that it's still closed below the low of the follow-through day so it's not that's not a great position uh for it and then as you mentioned uh that that follow-through day undercut that we got on the 28th was also a distribution day usually when you're getting distribution um early on after follow-through day that that tends to uh put the put the rally in question so i i think again we're kind of left with a little bit in no man's land right now uh can we get uh, above that 21-day moving average line and stay above it, and then once we do, we've got that 50-day line, you know, staring us uh, down the barrel, and then 12,000, and then, you know, there's there's all these levels. It seems like we're going to have to get across. So uh, I guess it remains to be seen. But maybe we could talk a little bit about some of the stocks that are setting up, and certainly, uh, you know, Nina was talking uh, certainly about healthcare innovation, technology, and some of these are up-and-comers. You know, they don't have necessarily the earnings. Um, but there's some companies out there that, that are setting up right now. They're, they're not down in the dirt. They're not uh, undervalued. They're, like, almost breaking out to new highs. Any, any of these catching your eye, Arusha?
1: Yeah, you, you know, I, I just went through the, you know, during, during the break, went through the near pivot on Marketsmith, and, and here's Cigna. Uh, C- Cigna's uh, forming a flat base, It is uh, 1% from the pivot. It formed a huge cup with handle before that. And so now it's formed a little bit of nicer, neater base here. And the relative strength lines acting well too. So here's a stock within the healthcare sector where this market, and and we spoke about this with Nina, where this market uh, is rewarding companies that are a a little bit more conservative that have mm-hmm. the earnings they might not have this huge growth potential but they're just kind of steady freddies and there's solid businesses and that's where everyone seems to be running to towards and you know you're, you're seeing a lot of these uh kind of healthcare stocks and like especially like the managed care group uh acting pretty well on a relative basis
0: yeah and i mean it should be noted that I, again because of the 10-year treasury Uh, yield going up so much I I mean it it, it had such a phenomenal move um, higher and you know granted it's come in a little bit off its highs but still it's 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 way up for for the year Um, you know that's that's kind of making people look at PE ratios more and so when you look at uh, something like Cigna and it's got a PE ratio of you know 12 uh, which is less than the S&P 500, I think a lot, of, a lot of people start looking at that as being attractive and saying, hey, if I don't want to be speculating on, you know, and, and again, there was a lot of speculation in 2020, right, with, hey, earnings don't matter as long as the revenues are coming in strong. Uh, now, you know, the people are kind of looking and saying, hey, I, I want to make sure that there's some earnings, there's some profits here. And uh, Cigna certainly has those. It's got an EPS growth rate of 18%. And look at the stability, A stability of eight so uh, again this is a number one to 99 with the lower number of one being the most stable so eight is is pretty pretty solid there um you look at the monthly chart and you know while it has had like these you know long periods of kind of keeping time with the s&p 500 it has had some uh, pretty decent moves but it doesn't really outperform the s&p 500 all that much long term
1: no, I. We're just in that environment where investors are looking for a place to hide, yeah, a place to kind of hang out while this while this bear market goes through its uh, kind of its process.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, uh, you know, switching over into more of the biomed biotech area, and you know this group is huge. Um, it's it's number thirty nine out of one hundred ninety seven groups right now and it's a it's a large group right there's almost 800 stocks yeah. in there and uh halo uh halozyme therapeutics is one in there h a l o and here's another one that I, I mean you look at it and it's kind of almost like what correction i mean sure this this came down but it's it's almost you know it's almost back to its all time highs um the the action has been so kind of whipsaw in the market. And here we have a nice kind of tighter flat base, 13% depth on on Halo. Um what's what's your analysis of this one?
1: Yeah, I, I definitely like it that pattern recognition is picking up a flat base here. This is the first pattern that it's picked up on the marketsmith chart in well over a year. And and so I think there you have a little bit of a character change it's been going through this larger kind of basing process for almost a year. But the fact that now it's starting to recognize a little bit of a trading range and calling it a flat base, it's only the, the depth is only 13 percent. So it has not given much back. It's above the 50 day moving average, above, yeah. above the 10 week average. It just seems like technically this is what we're looking for. Right. Uh, and then you seem to looking at the volume, the relative strength. It has an, a number of the things that we're uh, that we look for. Now, it doesn't have it on the earnings side necessarily with the EPS rating, uh, but it has uh, most of the stuff. And it kind of sticks out because it's actually going sideways or up
0: versus most of the stocks that have just been heavily damaged over the last few months. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, one of the things about this is, you know, in terms of its EPS growth rate, it doesn't have an EPS growth rate uh, probably because there was some negative years or, or quarters in there so I can't calculate it but um it does have a pe ratio of 22 so that's not that's not out of uh out of range i mean that's no. still only 1.3 times the s p 500 um you know it did have some you know slower growth uh, a quarter ago but you know it's It's back at 27% for uh, the most recent quarter and 32% revenue growth. So this is one that's, you know, it's making money. It's, uh, it's got the earnings. It's got those chops and, uh, you know, still, still looking interesting. Um, let's go ahead and round this out with a look in the medical software area. Um, you know, you, you don't think of software as being an area of strength right now with as much that got decimated in the tech area, but computer software medical, uh, some, some stocks picking up there. PRVA is one that we were talking about on IBD live. Um, you know, recently, uh, this is Privia health group. And, uh, they're in this computer software medical group which has been coming up it's now number 58 out of 197 industry groups and uh this is looking kind of like a bottoming base right you know it's it's kind of come in quite a bit after its ipo and here we have a pattern that is now above both the 50 day and 200 day moving average line or if you're looking on a weekly chart the 10 week and the 40 week moving average line what's your what's your take yeah
1: it's it's Starting the long road back, right? It's still 32% off its 52-week highs. But here's another kind of example where this is the first pattern that pattern recognition has picked up in quite a long time. So it's picking up a cup here. Now the depth is 38%. So that's a little bit deeper than we journey like but when you take it in context that we're going through this pretty big correction of bear market you you can give it a little bit more leeway here to a maximum of 50 percent depth actually but uh i think within the base you're having some you're having some weeks there where the they're they're closing all in the, around the same area so a little bit of a tightish type of mm-hmm. action right there and and it's uh it, it's right near um uh, It's right near like a 32 33 area, which was kind of another short term resistance. So it might have a chance to actually kind of round out and build like a a really large kind of trading range here, newer IPO, maybe in the next three to six months, maybe if the market gets better, maybe has a chance to get into new highs. And that would be significant, especially since it's an IPO.
0: Yeah. And you know what, if you go to the daily chart, I think that tight action that you just mentioned really kind of sticks out over the last couple of weeks. You know, it just really kind of hovered. Um, And even before that, it kind of, you know, started tightening up a little bit in some of those areas in the base too, uh, which certainly when when you see a deeper base, you kind of almost want the, you know, if if there's all that price uncertainty, you kind of want to get some more uh, uh, reduction in volatility and, you know, kind of a tight a tight pattern there that kind of lets you know, hey, you know, people are, people are getting comfortable with the, the price. And then uh, that's where it's almost like a spring that's being coiled. And when, when that pops, it can really have some power. And that's what we saw yesterday. And look at that volume uh, behind the move yesterday, uh, really, really strong and very strong volume today. So that, that's definitely one that is on my radar. Um, any final thoughts on this one? Well, yeah, I mean, speaking of volume,
1: if you just even look over the last couple of months, you're seeing a lot more of the the blue bars, higher blue bars. Yeah. So the more accumulation going on, acceleration in sales, some pretty solid earnings here. So mm-hmm. it does have a lot going for it. Uh, and so it's definitely one to keep on the watch just and maybe do some research while it's trying to build the
0: right-hand side of maybe a larger trading range and it's not unusual for ipos to have these periods where they go below their ipo price and you know kind of languish for a while and then as the institutions start kicking the tires on these and kind of getting to know the company getting to know management um you know before too long they, they start getting the interest of the institutions and that's when you can really have these phenomenal moves so it remains to be seen if this is going to become an institutional favorite so We'll keep our eye on that. But uh, thanks a lot for going through the market and a couple stocks with me, Arusha. And on next week's show, we are going to have Ken Shreve. He's a senior markets writer at IBD and a longtime colleague of mine. Uh, he was actually in the education department when I first started. So got to learn a lot from him as he was typing emails out on our AOL.com account. I used to <laughs> watch how...
1: his uh, videos as a customer Right uh, when he, he would teach Ken uh, Slim.
0: Yeah, he he did the level one video. So again, he's he's uh been been with us for a long time. Has a lot of knowledge to share. We we nicknamed him Eagle Eye. So it's going to be great to kind of have him on, uh, and and share his knowledge with us. So make sure you tune in for that. And thank you for watching us this week. We'll see you next time. Bye bye now. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.